Our scripture today is 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matter, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brothers goes, brothers goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers to have lawsuits at all that, that one another is already a defeat for you. Why not, shall, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourself wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers who inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. It is good to be together. You might have noticed that that passage is not in the book of John, which we are preaching through right now. And uh, I just couldn't shake that this was the passage that, that the Lord wanted us to go through today. So I wanted to be obedient to that too. And so here we are. Um, man, growing up in this community, growing up, I graduated from high school at Collins Maxwell in 1996. And if you had told me in the 1990s, as I was, this was the middle school of, at the time of Collins Maxwell. If you had told me then that uh, I would be a pastor one day, I'd probably say, what are those? Or I might have known, but been like, really? Um, I'm going to be that? Or um, if you had told me that I've, I'd ever be standing at the free throw line preaching a sermon, <laughs> once again would have been like, man, what universe would that have occurred in? What um, you know, what alter, you know, other universe would, would that have happened? And um, I would have thought you were crazy. And I think a lot of us share that story. A lot of us share uh, not the exact same story, but a story that includes, I would have never dreamed life would have led me here. I would have never dreamed what I desire now versus what I desired in earlier years. Um, I would have never dreamed how I live. I would have never dreamed what I love. I loved, I remember the, my hat that I wore all the time said, football is life. Uh, some of you might've had that, you know, and I was just like, and I, I believed it. Like it, if football did not exist, like life would not exist, you know? And, um, and it just, Jesus calls us to things that we would have never imagined. That's just his MO. That's just part of the way he is. Jesus calls us to ways, to things, to, to life that we would have never imagined. And in 1997, uh, that's how it uh, started for me. Uh, my eyes were open to him. I was at the University of Northern Iowa. I wanted to just be a computer guy. And uh, I was on the rugby team at the time. And I just felt like Jesus broke into my world. 
just utterly broke into my world, opened my eyes. I can agree with John Newton in his uh, writing of Amazing Grace saying, I was blind, but now I see. And I love my, my mom, uh, who came to Jesus in her 40s, says, I didn't know I was lost until I was found. I didn't know I was blind until I was able to see. Uh, then, uh, then now that I could see, I realized I was blind. Um, one of the things that I became interested in then in the first few years of walking with Jesus was just how did other people walk with Jesus before we showed up? Be, before it was, it was our time to hold the baton of life, how did the people before us walk with Jesus as he was on the move, as he was moving in communities, as he was changing us, as, as he was building his church? How did people follow Jesus closely during the bubonic plague? What did that look like? How were the, what was the nuanced conversations that were happening uh, during the bubonic plague of, of how Christians should uh, approach that um, how did people walk with Jesus who were all in with him during the Revolutionary War? As they wrestled with what does it look like to, uh, to live for Jesus in the midst of, of such a time as they lived in? How did German people live during World War II for Jesus? Um, what did that like look like as they were wrestling with ways to live? Um, the, Chuck Colson wrote a, a, a great autobiography himself as he was in the Nixon administration, was put in prison for being a part of Watergate, came to Jesus in prison and wrote a book called uh, How Now Shall We Live? Um, and uh, like I think that is many times the question for us. How, how now uh, should we live? Um, all these people who are having their lives radically changed by Jesus, how are they learning what it means for them to walk with Jesus in their new life? And uh, a lot of church history, a lot of historical theology, the study of historical theology is observing just what life was like for people walking with Jesus in other times that gives us wisdom for how we should now live with Jesus in our time and how we should, how we should be a church on the move because Jesus in, is on the move in our time. And, um, and man, like, I just pray that Jesus would give us wisdom today, uh, this week, and 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 this. Uh, I, have a, I have a book of the collected sermons of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who many of you are familiar with his story of just uh, his resistance and, and even training pastors for ministry who were uh, in high levels of governmental leadership, but were actively working to resist Hitler. And um, he ended up giving his life for that cause, but every one of his sermons is recorded. And so I, I have a book that he died in his 30s, but he preached like 50-some sermons in his entire life. And before each sermon, it would say, this was the week that Hitler came to power. And it would be the sermon he preached to his congregation that week. And it's just utterly fascinating because typically he's just making a lot of Jesus because he's the one that is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I didn't feel called today to preach a political message, but I felt called to preach a message in light of our political environment. Uh, I felt called to preach a message that, that illuminated me um, and, uh, and pages that, you know, sometimes you're in a passage and you just can't shake it and it just lights you up. And, you know, my prayer has been like, Lord, would this light us up in a way that like, I felt like I must preach it and I hope that we feel like we must live it. We must live this. We must live this out as people who are living lives that we would have never dreamed of. That's just like 
across the board. We're already living lives, if we're in Christ, that we never dreamed of. Now we're being told things in this passage that we would have never even imagined. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6. If you have a Bible, please. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some over there. Uh, we have some new T-shirts, too, that used to be our baptism shirts. But uh, we're just going to make those generic shirts. So those are, I think, 10 bucks. And uh, Steve was actually wrong. We're actually uh, doing a sale for the first week with the booklets, and they will always be a dollar. So uh, someone talked me down to a dollar on those booklets. So uh, they are incredible as well. But we have some Bibles over there, too. Feel free to grab one if you don't have one. It's yours. Um, so if in the, the passage will be on the screen, but if you want to turn there, uh, so find the New Testament. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians. And this is... The, the church of Corinth is usually thought of as the most hot mess church in the New Testament, okay? So what I love is like, we're just gonna go straight to the hot mess. Like, and sometimes it's like what Jesus says to the hot mess church in the New Testament, it's like, wow, if he's saying that to them, now I describe us as a hot mess too, that of people that are actually honestly walking with Jesus, but uh to this church, look at what he says starting in verse one of chapter six. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now we know that uh, there was um, incest type things that were happening in the church of Corinth that no one was challenging. I mean, imagine that, or you don't want to, but like that was actually like known outside of the church of Corinth. Hey, tell me some things about your church. Well, it was known that that type of a, a thing was happening. We knew it was known that people were being selfish and would eat all of the communion, drink, you know, eat, eat the bread, and then were getting drunk off of the wine in church during one of the most sacred times of our weekly gathering. That was part of their MO. Another thing that we didn't know unless it was written here is that people in the church were suing each other. Disagreement, conflict had come to the place where people in the church were turning to the Roman legal system. Okay, and this verse didn't jump out to me because I felt like we're like one step away from that. This verse actually, uh, you know, I'm actually been really moved when I think of like the grace, the love, the forgiveness that we have seen in the church over the last couple years as there is like opportunities for us to disagree on anything. And if we don't, just wait a few weeks and something will come up that we can deeply disagree about. Um, this situation of verse one jumped out to me because I think how much lower would a church have to go to where the church is known as the church where people are quick to file lawsuits in Story County against each other. Like, how, where would we have to be when someone's like, hey, you know, someone just bumps into someone like at, at Sweet Oaks and, uh, and is like, you know, oh, hey, you have a sacred mission shirt on. Tell me about it. And you're like, oh, we sue each other. <laughs> you know, like, you known for, each, for that, right? We're even known for that. And... Um, it's, it's not even in this verse, in verse one, that hits me like a two by four. It's verse two that starts to hit me with a two by four. Look at verse two. 
Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? It's incredible that after verse one, that there isn't some statement about the details of the court cases. And yet, like, I'm not anti-court cases. Like, there are real times when it's important and necessary to step into our legal system. Here, though, it's clear uh, at the end of verse two that these are trivial. They're trivial cases. And instead of Paul trying to say, like, hey, guys, you guys need to get over it. Or you guys need to cool off. You guys need some space from each other. Hey, you're making mountains out of molehills. Back off. Paul instead says to this church, to these hot mess folks who have given their lives to Jesus, he's using even the word saints to refer to them. He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's where Paul takes the conversation to these people. In places in scripture, the door is left open. It's partially spoken towards. Uh, I've searched scripture a little bit this week saying like, hey, how would these people know that they were gonna judge the world? What would have been the verses? What would have been portions of uh, prophetic writings and all this stuff to say, um, have you not forgotten? Have you not forgotten this? Because you are saints, because you have given your lives to Jesus, you are going to judge the world. And there's such clarity in this verse, the way that that verb judge is written, uh, it's in the future tense, is that it's clear that that's gonna happen sometime in the future. So he is in the present tense, he is in a present conversation telling them, hey, in the midst of trivial conflict, I want you to take a gander at the future. Sometimes people are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. That's kind of like a cutesy saying. I've heard it attributed to Dwight Moody and other people, but sometimes people are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Here, though, I think Paul is saying you need to be more heavenly minded to actually be of earthly good. You actually need to think about the future to be of earthly good here. He wants us to be defined by this reality. And I think it's an important point here for us is that what most defines us most unites us. What most defines us most unites us. So um, I think like if this alone doesn't make our, our hands a little sweaty, doesn't make our heart rate go up, doesn't increase our blood pressure, doesn't make our breath a little shallow to think of the reality of what does this mean? that I one day will actually be a judge of the world. If that doesn't get to you, look at verse three. We're even taken to another level. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? And man, this is humbling. Like I want it to humble and to bring courage in each of us. I want it to humble each of us and I want it to bring courage in each of us. Um, you know, I, it, it might feel exciting that we'll judge the world when you think of like people who have done bad things and be like, oh, man, I can't wait to judge them. You know, like you, you could go there, um, but 
And this is all underneath Jesus, who has actually the good judge, and we're following him, but he's actually telling us, like, this is leadership that you will step into. If this was, if instead of angels, this said demons, it'd be like, oh man, I'm gonna start keeping a list right now of what I'm gonna throw at them. But specifically, the word is chosen here to speak of angels. Angels are beings that we've been told were created. They're not eternal, but they're created beings that typically strike fear in us of how awesome they are, how majestic they are. Um, you typically, you, you, like your, your legs fail you if you see them uh, unhindered. Um, you, you just fall, and typically, like, it seems like you lose control of bodily things, um, and you, there's scripture passages that explain it that way. Um, and we're told in Hebrews that angels have spent all of human existence, this is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, that they have spent all of human existence being ministering servants, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. It seems that they've been involved in battles for us. We see that in the book of Daniel. It seems also that angels have never sinned in their serving of God by serving us. So staggeringly, we will judge them one day. We'll judge how they served us. I think this is like crazy mysterious. Crazy mysterious. Should be humbling, but it should be encouraging. Like we should get courage placed in us when we imagine the heavenly bar that has been set so high for us. This is where God takes the church in 1 Corinthians. In the midst of seeing each other as adversaries, he is saying, you are way more connected than you ever dreamed of. In the midst of meddling here on earth, we need a heavenly vision. One day we will have received the full inheritance that we've been promised. And as we're judging angels, you know, I just think of like Brandon maybe is down there a ways, like Deb's down there, Steve's maybe down there. And just looking at each other once in a while being like, you know, like this is happening. You know, this is incredible. Verse four through eight continued to unpack like how bad it was and how trivial all this meddling had become. And we're again instructed by Jesus about our posture in times like this. So verse four, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather just suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Here Paul is saying he would rather suffer. He'd rather be defrauded than live with conflict that would go against brothers and sisters who will one day judge the earth and judge angels together in the kingdom of God where Jesus is our king. Now, verse 9 takes us to that kingdom, to that king, and what defines us this side of glory. Let me say it again. Like, verse 9 takes us to that kingdom, to that king, and what defines us on this side of glory. Verse 9, do you not know 
that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, where inherit the kingdom of God. As clear as clear can be, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unrighteous could be thought of as people who are not right with God. I think if like a five-year-old came up to me and said, what does unrighteous mean? I, I think I would say, you are not right in your relationship with God. Things are not right. Maybe I'd say things are not right between you and God. That's being unrighteous. Who are these people? There are people who are defined by being sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it crystal clear how sin corrupts. He said even if someone looks at a woman with lust, he's committed adultery in his heart. So a close look at this list, not one of us, not one of us hope to stroll right into the kingdom of God. Not one of us. Our good deeds, our pedigree, our sincerity, lack of a pedigree, like none of them are admissible for admission to the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you. Scripture is speaking truth like this used to be, yes, this used to be true of all of us, having us all be unrighteous. But for some, it like truly defined you. So all of us are unrighteous, but for some, like this defined me. Like if you're like, hey, tell me about this person. Oh, man, they are a swindler. Like you know everything you need to know about them. That word encapsulates them. And such were some of you. Those things truly did define us. Scripture draws us to be captured with a new identity as we head towards the realization of the kingdom of God. Scripture calls us to be captured with a new identity and to make its imprint on our soul. And I think this is a way to think of this is when lesser things define us, they divide us. When lesser things define us, they divide us. When greater things define us, they unite us. When lesser things define us, they divide us. I think this is Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians 6. When lesser things define us, they divide us. When greater things define us, they unite us. Verse 11 again. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, this, so I don't do this every Sunday, but this is a week. Uh, so all of 1 Corinthians was written originally in the Greek language. Uh, all, the, all the New Testament, but all of 1 Corinthians is originally written in Greek. So when we're reading verse 11, we're reading the English Standard Version translation. It's a wonderful translation. It's wonderfully faithful. People devote their entire lives to make sure that what is said in Greek 
is, is most captured in English. But knowing a little bit of the details of the original Greek, it doesn't change the meaning, but it's like going from like a 1080p TV to like a 4K TV of resolution sometimes. So you're seeing the same picture, but sometimes you see it with more vividness and more details, and it, it strikes you more. It strikes you more. So one of the things here is that in Greek, there are six words that an author can choose to say, but, the conjunction but. Decided I was walking this way, but I decided to walk this way. So there's six ways that I can describe that to let you know how strong I turned around. So I could use like the word da and be like, yeah, I decided, yeah, I think I'm going to go this way, you know. But then they're, they're, the strongest word is like, man, I was going this way. And then, gosh, like I just was like yanked. I mean, I maybe need to wear a neck brace for how strong I was turned around. And so here, the absolute strongest conjunction of the six is chosen here to say, but you were washed. But then what's fascinating is he uses it three times in a row. And in English, it would feel like redundant, but I think in the 4K or 8K or whatever the highest is now, um, it's, it's making an important point. And if um, I was going to translate this, it's, so it's used after each or before each of the verbs. So it says, but, so this used to define you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Three times, it's like, I want to be as clear, like whiplash clear, that you have been redefined. Jesus has totally redefined you, and he is totally remaking you. And then um, and then one of the, another important thing to note with the original Greek writing is that an area where Greek is more sophisticated than English is in the clarity of how the verbs are carried out. So there's just a lot of like engineers love Greek because there's so much detail for exactly how the subject and the verb are, are acting here. And so each of the three verbs here, washed, sanctified, and justified, are all in the aorist tense. Aorist middle, then two uh, aorist passive verbs here. And what this means is that these words have already happened in the past. These words have already happened in their past. So it, there, it has an undefined way, like it does continue into the future, but the focus here for the Corinthians is in the past. Like you, you can look at the Corinthians and say, you have already been washed. You have already been sanctified. You're already set on the path of looking more like Jesus as you walk this life out. You have already been justified. All of the court cases basically against you in the heavenly realms for the sins that you have committed and the sins will, you will commit, uh, it has all been ruled innocent. You are fully justified putting your faith in Jesus. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. All this, all of this that had separated you from God is totally gone. All that used to define you no longer defines you. Your definition is now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That is our definition. That is what defines us here. 
when lesser things define us, they divide us. When greater things define us, they unite us. And man, I just think each day in 2021, as these days unfold, like as a, as a people who will judge angels, looking to Jesus together saying, how now should we live? Would you show us this week how to walk together? Each day that we're asking that question, each day like we're doing it in a greater identity a heavenly vision that's making us of earthly good. Man, like would the Lord give us a vision to see each other as he tells us we are? Would he give us a vision to see ourselves when we look in the mirror as he sees us and as he shares with us here how we are? Man, if, if you are here and you've not been washed, you've not been sanctified, you've not been justified from the ramifications of your sin, Today, would you be washed? Would you be sanctified? Would you be justified? Would you say, I'm yours? If you do this to that guy, <laughs> would you do it to me? And he is, uh, it, it won't tire him out. It's not like, well, I'm, I'm changing four people's lives in here already. I don't think I have energy to change you. He's, he's all about you. You wouldn't be in this room if he wasn't completely ready and willing and excited to say, oh man, I just washed you. I just sanctified you. I just justified you. You are mine and you will judge angels one day um, with each other. And um, man, for all of us, all of us, like none of us can be who we are made to be without him empowering us to be that. None of us can. None of us can. So communing with him is, has to be our step. Our step can't be like, well, gosh, I'm going to go away and really watch a bunch of YouTube videos to try and attain that. No, like we actually go to him because we need his power to make these things actually be real. We need his power to actually show us. He knows our stories. He knows our, our bent is to go here or our bent is to go here. And, and we need him to show us and empower all of us to say, like, how do we go there and how do we go there together? And so communing with him He's given us the tangible, physical element of communion to commune with him. And, and it is, it's not a time to get drunk. It's not a time to get well-fed. We will be well-fed spiritually as we come to him. And, uh, and the warnings in scripture are to Christians, those who are followers of Jesus, those who he has washed, justified, sanctified. He says like, hey, don't just rush to the table. You might want to, to commune with him. Uh, but like, take, take a little bit of time and let him show you more and more his vision for you. Uh, maybe there are sins to, to talk to him about and let, let him uh, do surgery on our, on our souls. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, I just encourage you, man, give your life to him and then come to the table. Um, and so uh, let's take some moments and, and Lord, I just ask that you would that, that you would in this moment truly form us even more closely, Lord, would, um, if someone asked what Sacred Mission Church is about, maybe someone would say, I have no idea, but I just know those people are crazy about that Jesus. And um, Lord, would that define us in ways that we would have never imagined, unite us in ways that we just would have never seen possible and lead us into places that we never thought we'd go to as you are using us as you are on the move here.
So Lord, show us, give us the grace to truly commune with you right now for your glory. Let's come together.